0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. morning. It's so nice to be here and gather with you this morning as we worship the Lord. It was so gratifying to be invited back to St. Barnabas. As the old saying goes, the first time they invite you, they're checking you out. (laughs) The second time they do so, they know what they're getting. (laughs) Father Andrew and I were lucky to spend a week in Rwanda, where it was one of those glorious moments of seeing how it will be in heaven Not only did we make that bold statement you all have read about, we also had opportunity to mix together in worship with people of different races and cultures coming together because of Jesus. It was a wonderful time and after that week, Father Andrew headed to Malawi with the bishop and I headed to Uganda for summer mission somewhere in western Uganda. And after another week with summer teaching clergy, I went and spent 12 days with my mother. She's 96 years old. We'll be turning 97 in September, praying hard. And she has a mission which has been going on for a couple of years of building a church before she dies. It started when my father died. And many people came in 2005. Most of them sat outside because of the little space in the church. And then after the funeral, my mother turned to me and said, John, we need to do something. All these people who came to bid off my friend and your father, they sat in the scorching sun. We need to build another church. So she started a campaign, raising, uh, doing uh, whatever kinds of uh, fundraising, selling bananas on the street by her house and giving lemonade to people, buying, selling lemonade. Other people joined the cause, and they have now done most of the construction. The church is built, it's roofed, and now they are doing the inside. When I was there, they were raising money for tiling the floor, and all the people were seated on the ground. You solve one problem, you create another. We have a big church, but there are no pews. And then as I was leaving, my mother told me, John, go back and tell your friends. Thank them for what they have done so far, but the work is not yet done. I had asked a couple of churches to help, and we've been doing this. So being here and we're talking about planting a seed, I thought i would tell you that if you want to contribute in one way or the other, whether individually or St. Barnabas as a church, we are raising money for pews so that the people in my mother's church stop sitting on the ground, and the pew that seats eight people costs $200. That is a commercial. <laughs> After that, uh, actually, just this past week, this, the other week, not this recent one, I was in England. I had, got, I had been invited to preach at an ordination service for two Ugandans, plus a couple of others. It was my first time in England to stay. The other time, I just went through. But this time, I stayed for a week. And finally, during my stay, I came to understand what your people call, you have an accent. (laughs) Those people talk funny. I was like, they don't know how to speak English. To many, if most of us, we always have these perceptions about other people until you get to experience them. And so when, whenever I come to St. Barnabas, I get into that Pauline praise when he's talking, you know, Paul, you have read him a lot about him. He rarely praised people unless you're really, really good. And he writes this wonderful letter at the church in Philippi. Telling them how good they have been. And when I come to St. Barnabas, knowing the things you do in your community. How wonderful you pamper your priests. And how you love each other. I want to speak like Paul. I have heard the great things at St. Barnabas. And I praise God for you every day because of your witness in your neighborhood. But the work of God is not done when we praise each other. It just gets started. Many of us have read the parable of the sower many times. Some of us can even regurgitate it without even reading the text. It was one of those Sunday school stories and parables like the Good Samaritan, which we learned and taught around. Most of Jesus' teaching was situational. When he was among the people who thrived on on the agricultural economy, he taught using the language of agriculture. When he was with fishermen, he used the fishing language. When he was with lawyers, he used the legal language. Going by Jesus' clarification about the parable of the sower, we understand very clearly that the sower is always the same. The same seed is sown unto the soil. It is the soil that makes difference in determining the results and how much fruit is produced. In short, the parable is about the believer's relationship with Christ. This is crucial because without him we cannot bear fruit. In the parable of the sower, the seed that fell on the good soil came up and yielded crop a hundred times, more than was sown. The parable held up before Jesus hearers a mirror for them to see where they stood in relation to God, in relation to Jesus Christ. And it does the same to us this morning. So which soil describes you best? Which soil do you want to be in? Today, I would like to use Jesus' language of farming To focus on how it relates to our living in our faith. And I've categorized these in different headings. The first heading is about sowing. Using the agricultural language, you cannot have yields if you have not sown. It's very clear that first of all, there must be sowing. Unlike the modern day sowing where the machine sows the seeds in a straight line, Traditional sowing involved chance right from the beginning. The farmer went out with seeds and threw them across the field. The illustrated Bible still has a picture of a farmer holding a basket and throwing seeds around. This is the kind of sowing that Jesus is talking about. Sowing by chance, sowing frugally by chance, hoping that some seed will fall on good ground. This kind of sowing is still rampant in many parts of Africa. I saw a farmer do exactly that in Cambodia the last time I was there. Yet even here, if, if anything else, I've seen people kind of trying to cover up a perch in the yard, and they throw seeds around, hoping they will grow. This kind of sowing is unscientific. And by our standards, it is an inefficient way, an inefficient way of getting the job done. A lot of seed is wasted. Some seeds fall on the ground and can't take root. Others fall on the pathway, they get stepped on. Other seeds get eaten by birds. Some of these seeds get taken over by weed and grass. Only a small percentage of the seed sown actually grows and bears fruit simply put it is sowing by chance in the context of this parable sowing is what we do when we offer ourselves to be in jesus's class as his students we offer ourselves unto him so that he sows in us the seeds of righteousness of faith of love sowing is what we do when we speak wisdom to our children our friends, our neighbors, even strangers on the bus, in the mall, while hiking, or wherever life takes us on our daily errands. In this context, inviting others to church is a form of sowing. You know, many people have given up many things, including sowing. I hear statements like, what's the use of teaching children sound values and good manners? when 90% of what you say seems to go in one, ear, in one ear and goes out through the other. How many times a day do you do your parents ask this question? What's the use of giving charities when so much is spent on unappreciative and deserving folks? Ever wonder about that, some of the most cynical people I know are those who've been burned by trying and failing to help someone down and out. People ask all the time, what's the use of sharing my faith with a neighbor after daring to do so thousands of times so far, and he has never even dared to come with me to church? Think about this parable in relation to our Christian faith. Thousands of people heard and saw Jesus of Nazareth, but only a handful came to believe that he was the Son of God. On the Day of Pentecost, thousands witnessed the descent of the Holy Spirit. Most of them were never heard of again. Consider this also. Over the centuries, thousands and thousands of men and women have studied the scripture, but only a portion have really believed what they read. Should we stop because the response is not equal to the enthusiasm we put in? Certainly not. Ours is to plant. God, It's God's to make grow. Sowing is what we do. It's God to make the results. That's exactly what we read in the first reading we read when he was talking about the word of God that will not return to you empty. Do something and leave the rest to the Lord. Then after we have planted, there is growing. The second aspect of the farmer's language is growth. An indecisive sinner is a person who hears the word without fully submitting to its authority. Remember the seed that fell among the thorns? It actually grew for a season before it was overpowered by thorn bushes. His love for Christ and the world grows together for a season. In the end, however, the love for the world crowns over the love for Christ. Should we therefore stop preaching? Certainly not. We sow the seed. We ask God to make it grow. In our times, our motives for being followers of Christ must be correct and genuine. We must not be like some of the 5,000 who followed Jesus because they were only interested in satisfying their flesh for temporary desires. How do we know whether or not we are following Jesus for the wrong reason? By being inspired by cheap things. Following Jesus for the right reason will lead to some kind of growth, however small. You plant the seed, you let God grow the seed. Those small baby steps must not only be cherished and acknowledged, they must be watered. Therefore, the third category of our learning about the sower is watering. In agricultural language, watering is a constant replacement and care expanded towards what has been planted. New plants need constant watering in order to, for them to take root. As Christians, We must always offer ourselves to being watered in order to grow. This involves spending time in prayer, gathering together for worship, feeding from the real source. Reading the word of God is a common form of watering practiced by numerous Christians. Simply put, without regular and intentional watering, there won't be meaningful growth. Whether it is in the farmer's sphere of influence, or in our spiritual realm. Although normal life often seeks vacation times away from everything, there is no vacation for our spiritual life. Jesus demands that we pray without ceasing. Prayer being the means by which we, are, we stay tuned and anchored into Christ. Using today's cell phone language, praying is the means by which we ensure that we never lose the signal Jesus is the tower from whom such a signal comes, and prayer is the means by which the connection is ensured. Sadly, too, in farmers' language as Christians, there is trimming. Trimming is the inevitable practice to ensure good results. Not only does the farmer trim off some of the limbs to ensure better fruition, but even as Christians, we must trim off some of our selfish tendencies in order to stay focused and not distracted. As Christians, there must be things we drop off in order to stay anchored and focused on growth in Christ. These may include lifestyles, words we otherwise fancy using in our conversation. I've been to many settings where somebody throws a dirty word, then he turns around and says, oh, Father, excuse me. Those are some of the things we shouldn't say, not only because the priests are not there, but because they are not right. Sometimes we tend to anchor ourselves in Christ, but refuse to trim some of the things that are going around us. A church that allows to come as you are and stay as you are, and therefore not trimming finds itself in trouble because people start wondering, what is the use of going to church if I'm going to stay the same and not challenge against me? Trimming, therefore, is inevitable, a process required in good farming. It is also equally important in our spiritual life as we are considering this farming language, we are also supposed to know that we must bear fruit, the fourth category of our farming language around the parable of the sower. Just like a farmer whose intention in planting seeds is expecting reproduction and increase in the produce, when we become Christians, we do not choose so for, we do not choose so for the mere selfish intention of just hanging out. Fruit bearing is an expectation from all who have chosen Christ as their Lord and Savior. Fruit here may mean simple things like showing change in the before and after. It change in lifestyle, in demeanor, in your activeness in church. In the Christian realm, bearing fruit revolves around the works of righteousness, the external manifestation of a transformed life. Remember, works are not the root of salvation, but the fruit of it. Each of you has so many hours a day to do something good for the Lord and in the Lord's name. If we use them rightly, we would certainly bear fruit. It's not about the quantity of fruit you bear. It is some fruit that we must bear The arch enemy of bearing fruit is the devil. Like the sun choking the seeds which dared grow on the wayside in our parable, Satan has the power to take away seeds that we plant. Those that are not rooted and anchored in Christ, the devil sways and hinders from professing their faith. The devil may hinder us from bearing fruit by focusing on our worldly things. Here, our Lord is warning us that a worldly focus can choke the word of of a person's life. And he gives us two examples of what worldly focus looks like. The worries of the life and the deceitfulness around wealth. Finally, there is harvest. Just like a good farmer expects harvest, a Christian walk must always be mindful of the harvest harvest does not happen in this lifetime unfortunately it is expected at the last day I tell people all the time that I do not want to spend time in church especially this much time I've been in church and miss all the fun and the worldly people seem to enjoy and then come to the Pearl gates and I end up being sent away because I was not faithful. I've been charged long enough that I want in the end to be harvested for Christ. All people who dare walk the Christian faith must always be mindful of the final harvest. Christianity is the only course that expands the entire lifespan of a human being whose graduation does not happen in our lifetime but it will inevitably happen. And you must wear your gown to be received by the one you've been following. Sowers like the parable, sowers like us. Living in Jesus' vineyard, after, after all, we were reminded a couple of weeks ago that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Here, Jesus was not focusing on how much you bring to him but at least bring something to the Lord. All that matters is being faithful, doing the sowing, and leaving the harvest to him. Like we, we cannot harvest ourselves for Christ. Let us do what is our part in sowing the seed. And let God enjoy the thrill and the joy that will happen when all the faithful at St. Barnabas. Join the faithful at St. Vincent and many other churches. When the Holy One says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little. Now inherit your father's bounty. That will not happen to idle, pure potato, couch warmers or pure potatoes. It will happen to all those who have sat, who had to hear the word and then go out to sow the seed. All people who dare walk the Christian faith must always be mindful of the final harvest. As we walk with Christ, and having walked with Christ all my life, I do not want to be cast out and relegated among those who never dared to do so. But we must always be aware that as long as our spiritual lives have one unrepented sin, even just one sin, it will stain all the good things you've done. So following Christ indeed also requires us to make sure that all sin is repented. There is no hanging out with some few of it, hoping that Jesus will pass it because you have a 90. If you miss the 10, you will go to hell. And so as we anticipate that final harvest, may the Lord help us to be faithful to know whose we are and why we are here, by being aspiring always to keep our word, to be genuine in our walk with Christ, to aspire to be righteous, and to endure to bear fruit. Be careful how you hear. That's exactly the main point of this parable. The seed that grows is no different from the seed that lands on the wrong path. It's all the same seed. It's all the same message. But you need to receive it with an open heart and a willing mind. Be careful how you hear the word of God. Secondly, sow God's word wisely. Be a good witness for Christ. Share God's word with people, but do it wisely nor their hindrances to the gospel. From this parable, it tells us that we must guard against those forces. Most of all, pray that God would prepare people's hearts to receive his word. Thirdly, be assured of the harvest. When you share the gospel with others, yes, some of the seed is going to land along the path. Some will land on the rocky path, ground but ours is to sow. Sow anyway, and let God do the rest. Share the gospel, pray for people, then watch as God does his work. The parable tells us that there are so many enemies of the the seed, but the seed must be sown anyway. And the Lord of harvest will celebrate even the little we do, because he will multiply it like the sower did. May God, therefore, help us during this summer, that as we interact with strangers, especially on our travels, that we are able to know to share the word, because that's all. That's what Christians do. After all, it's the good news. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I mean...